I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers, and we have a great episode lined up for you today. And I know I always say that, and it's it's so funny because every time I get on the phone or on Skype with one of these guests and start hearing about what they're doing, I'm so excited to bring the episode to you. And so I think today you're going to be really wowed by the guests we have. We have Michelle Atkinson here. She's the founder of Cavalry Consulting. And uh, I want to, first off, welcome Michelle and turn it over to her just to tell you a little bit about herself and what she does over there. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. So first of all, I really appreciate the invitation to be on the show today. Um, So a little bit about me. Uh, Cavalry Consulting is my business. I founded it uh, three years ago, but it was it was a while to get here. And uh, uh, one of the most exciting things about uh, government contracting and proposals in general is the fact that a lot of people don't like writing proposals. (laughs) And Uh, I call myself a little bit of a unicorn because I love it. And I go to these conferences. I go to SAME uh, and it's where I actually met uh, Josh. uh, And people come up to me and they say, you write proposals? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I feel so bad for you. And at first I wondered, you know, what's, what's up with that? Why do you guys say that to me? This is when I was brand new into the industry. And I've always seen it a little bit differently. And I wondered, well, why are people making it so hard? And I've always had a different view about that. So I think it goes back to how I got into this, uh, which is you know, what you asked and I'm excited to, to kind of share. I'm a, I'm a military spouse. My husband is active duty Air Force. And um, I've grown up being, I don't know, I was always told that I was really smart. And I graduated magna cum laude. Every job I had as a teenager, I was I was able to just go get it. Mm-hmm. I never had to I never had to work very hard to get it. And going and getting a job is I kind of relate it to writing proposals. And I'll kind of explain why that's important. When I married my husband, I quit my job that I had and uh, moved across the country. And it was the first time that I wasn't able to get one. Mm-hmm. I didn't live in the right place. Uh, I had a different address. I was applying for these jobs. I had what I thought was great experience and I applied for probably 50 plus jobs and realized that people didn't want some random person applying that didn't have the same address, uh, that it it didn't make sense. I was a military spouse experiencing this military spouse employment issue that you hear so much about these days. And I learned through that experience to tailor my resume to each opportunity. So I would apply for anything under the sun that uh, was similar to marketing, writing, content, uh, you know, on, you know, web presence. This is what I was doing. I was doing proposals and marketing my previous job. I even applied for a job at HDR in their proposal, uh, in their proposal market, but they wanted five to seven years of experience specifically in government. You know, and I had no idea what this was at the time. I didn't get a call. You know, I didn't fit through their parameters or whatever. <laughs> See that now, but you know, it's my little inside joke. But long story short, is that I learned very well how to tailor my own experience to meet the specific criteria of what was on these job applications. Mm. Fast forward, I was very lucky. I think luck plays a lot into some of these opportunities in your personal life and in. Your professional life, you know, if you own a business, you know, sometimes the right opportunity fits your own skills. Um, I got a chance to uh, work on a a contract basis with a government contractor uh, when my husband was off at school and I was just helping out. 
and it was working in proposals and it was just, just to help match projects on the proposals. And I said, wow, this looks a lot like what I was doing hmm. in my professional job hunting experience. And I had never done training with Shipley method or any of that nonsense as what I call it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people pay a lot of money for that stuff and I get it. But when I looked at it, you know, from what I was seeing is, oh, well, they're asking for this in these words and the company's done this. So why don't we show how it fits as clearly as possible? And from my own trauma, it made sense. Yeah. And I mean, darn it, it worked. So I was pretty successful right out the gate in proposals, having gone through that. And I've carried it with me for the last 10 years and built a successful consulting company out of it. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So my, uh, my whole approach is very different than all these methodologies, building project work statements. I feel like that's unnecessary um, in a nutshell. So, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. You know, th often when I talk to people, you're right. The, when I hear them talking about the proposal phase, they're like, oh, we're getting to the proposal phase. I'm like, that should be the most exciting thing because you're getting ready to apply for money. You know, yes. you're, you're trying to win some money and it's, and it's, Often it's in the tens of millions of dollars when I see some of these bigger proposals. Um, you know, we've been on some that are in the billions of dollars, and those are pretty exciting. And yet some people are just, they hate it. And I think a lot of people just don't like writing. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's one of those things where um, I've always joked that everybody has a book in them and everybody wants to be a writer, but nobody ha knows how to do it and or nobody likes doing it. That's for sure. And so... I think it takes a special skill. You know, you describe yourself as a unicorn there. What I hear even just in the first couple of minutes here is just your excitement over the process. And I, again, I, 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 I go through the mental Rolodex of how many people I know that write proposals. And I don't know that I've ever met somebody who's actually excited to do it besides yourself. <laughs> so, I mean, they're like, I mean, I know companies that write proposals. You know, you're, you're not the only one I know. I mean, there's a lot of people that do this. And when I talk to them, I'm like, I don't even, you know, necessarily think about it. But once you see somebody who has a passion for it, immediately, you know, this is different. Mm -hmm. You know, out of all the I'll, I'll go to personal life for a moment. When I look at all the teachers my kids have had, I can tell you right now the two teachers that my children have both had that I've said, those two people were born to do this mm -hmm. and they were the most amazing teachers ever. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of what I hear just in you describing your love for proposals of born to do it, meaning you're going to do it well. You know, they always say, you know, you, you know, do what you love for your work and it'll never be work. Right. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the, the thing in business here that a lot of people can't wrap their head around. They're focused on a business model that produces money, not necessarily something they enjoy that produces money. And so I, I'm excited to dive in and, and learn more about your process because you're, you actually mirror a lot of things that um, are similar in myself. I, I don't like a lot of the professional processes. I, I actually, it's funny. I did a short, like a six minute video yesterday on my proposal process for YouTube. And one of the things I was talking about was there's all these different color codes, <laughs> all these different yeah. things, you, all these paths you can go down and like, I hate it all. You just need to know these three things. Um, and, yeah. and that's where, you know, you have your own system hmm. that works for you and that's super powerful. Um, but you know, a lot of people get sucked into, well, I've got to go down this model because it's popular and I've got to learn this and work within its parameters. I'm like, but does that work for you? Are you going to be excited about using it? Is it, is it going to, um, you know, meet your client needs and all that sort of thing. And so, so it's just really, really interesting to see your passion out of the gate on this. Um, and to even hear the struggle of going from, you know, having no issues getting jobs and knocking them out of the park to the, the struggles to learning how to write your, your resume, like it's a, a proposal almost, if you will. So that, so that's interesting stuff there. So, so you, you talked a little bit about this, but I'm, I'm going to have you dig a little deeper here. So 
you you wound up on a project where you're doing mm-hmm. some government contracting. You saw that. What made you stick with government contracting proposal writing versus, I mean, you could have done anything with your business. You could have written proposals in the commercial world. You could have done other things with your writing skills. What, what made you stick in this area? Um, that's a great question. And it's interesting because prior to this, you know, I had written, I had written articles in magazines about uh, MMA fighters and, and professional okay. power lifters, like nice. crazy stuff like that. Um, it was fascinating. I love a challenge. When I walked in there, I didn't know what a source of thought was. And I said, that's bad grammar. Why would you call it a source of thought? This is, yeah. this is confusing. You're confusing everyone just by like, calling it that. Now I have yeah. to call it a source of thought response to way too many words and syllables. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's, uh, but I had to learn all the acronyms. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to learn so much stuff, but it was exciting. Uh, one part of it was that, you know, I was a new military spouse. So I was learning all of this on a fast track, catching up on this whole aspect of DOD while my husband was, you know, off at his military school. And so I was, I was able to learn about, uh, you know, the different commands and the different, you know, levels of, um, you know, the ranks. And I felt like I was, you know, understanding a part of this at the same pace of what he was doing. Um, so when I st- started to cling to something, I want to learn more about it. Um, the other aspect was I was writing proposals for construction and architecture engineering. And that was fascinating to me because I could go out and look at a job. And as I'm talking about, um, you know, precast concrete, I said, Oh, precast concrete, like you're, you're casting it before you, you know, put it out there. I get it. Or cast in place. What is that? Ah, I get it. You know, it's, it's real things. It's things I see all the time. I can tell my kids about that and say, Oh, mom, you wrote that proposal. You know, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Um, so I just, I guess I like the hardest possible things and then I'll go figure them out. Um, no, that's cool. So I think I answered your question on that. No, no, Uh, I, I think that's, I think that's cool. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, again, you're showing your, your passion for this, that, you know, if I'm a listener today and I'm looking for somebody to write proposals, I want somebody who's excited, passionate, you know, they, they, like you described there, you know, you, you like difficult things and figuring them out and digging in and learning more. And so that's what I want in somebody who's going to do that for me. So that, that, that's good stuff. So if I, if I came to you and said, you know, what is going to make us competitive or, you know, I guess the, the popular question for a lot of clients would be, if I asked you how to win a proposal, what would you say to that? Ah, well, it, I would, I would have to figure out a lot of details about your company first, because there's not just one overall answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of pieces that come along with that. Um, and when you're looking at your overall proposal schedule, um, you have to set a schedule at the beginning of your process. You know, I'm not going to give you this whole overall, you know, here's all your, Mm -hmm. well, I I probably will um, (laughs) give you a a lot of information, Um, but you have to create a schedule on day one and stick to it. If you hope to, to really win, if you are taking it seriously, you have to create a schedule um, at the very beginning of your process. When we see mistakes being made, in proposals, it's because uh, somebody will decide that they want to go after something and then they'll put it off or they won't start attacking those milestones that they need to do until the very end. And then maybe edits or material will come back a couple days before it's due. If changes are being made, you know, the day that something's being printed, which everybody says that they don't do, but they do it. Yeah. Even when they hire a proposal consultant, they're making changes the day that it's printing. And the only times that I've, I've seen massive mistakes, you know, going over page limits or, or uh, something being completely missing, you know, was because uh, somebody made an edit that might have pushed something out. And that can happen. And then, you know, six months later when it's evaluated, it's like, why didn't we have that in there? And, and I keep track of everything. 
I love analytics. I have to know. Yeah. I, I can go back and send a detailed email that says, well, this happened, da, 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 da. and then when I go find that, oh, well, we made all these edits on the very last day. And, you know, by that time, there was no control. You had, just had to get it out. And so by all means, my one piece of advice, get your schedule set and, and make sure that you have plenty of time to review and edit. Um, other things that I would say if you want to win, um, read the entire solicitation hmm. from front to back. Read it more than once. Make sure that you understand everything that's everything that's in there. Don't just skip to section L and M. Uh, you know, naturally, that's what you want to do, especially if you have a large team that's reviewing it. Um, you might have some of your stakeholders just reading section L and M, but you're going to miss some important pieces in there. Uh, one of the secrets that I do is I will make sure that I review all of um, the clauses that are in there by reference because, you know, I take it upon myself to make sure that I understand the FAR because the FAR is dictating your contracts hmm. and they're going to put in clauses by reference. And this is something that you get with the government that you're not getting in your commercial contracts. And I've seen them put in references and here's the secret to all the listeners. The government loves to copy and paste. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes, you know, and, and I know that you might have listeners that work in the government. And so, you know, not to be offensive or anything like that, but sometimes you might have like the lowest person on the food chain that is putting together the RFP and, and they've got a, a timeline to get these things out. And then we're rushing, you know, it'd be year end. And not everything gets reviewed as fast as it needs to be reviewed and some things get in there. But it's our job as the contractors or as the consultants to make sure that we review the entire solicitation and ask our RFIs early. That's my other piece of advice. Don't wait until the last minute to ask all your RFIs and then cross your fingers and hope for an extension because you're not helping anybody by doing that. Right, right. Ask them all early. Because you might find that clause that's going to say something crazy and that could affect you. So make sure that you see all this as well. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And it, it's funny that, that you, you mentioned that because I, I do see a lot of people that only skim for certain sections. And it's mm -hmm. like, why would you not read the whole thing? You know, it, it's how important is this contract to your business? to not read the whole thing. You're like, oh, well, we know what they're going to say in this area. They copy and paste, so we know what they probably said. You know what they probably said. You don't know what they said. You know, this is a big deal. You know, what if, what if they accidentally copy and pasted the wrong thing, you know, because no one's flawless, right? Yeah. And you need to go back and ask, did you really mean... <laughs> You know, X, Y, Z, you know, because we don't think, you know, you need that, you know, a swimming pool in the middle of your concrete or whatever, you know, they accidentally pasted, um, you know, so it's it's good to double check what the government's doing and to understand and make sure you should even be working on the proposal. I've seen that where people have no business working on a proposal or something will come up and they're like, oh, where did that requirement come oh it's been in the thing the whole time you just didn't read it and had you yeah. known that you would have taken yourself out of the process months ago but now you've wasted thousands of dollars in man hours on something you shouldn't have been working on so I, that, that makes a lot of sense so from from your perspective when you are writing the proposal what's one of the most important parts that that you would tell people to focus on the most important part to focus on is the evaluation criteria. Um, a lot of times I see people starting with the scope of work. And obviously you need to look at the scope of work um, to see if it's something that you can do, but you can't stop there. Um, uh, in a go, no go evaluation, companies will usually say, oh, this is right up our alley. You know, that's the term. This is right up our alley. This yeah. is our bread and butter. This is what we can do. You have to then go to the evaluation criteria and instead of saying, we can do this, say, can we win this? Yeah. If you can't win it, then don't bid on it, especially if you're working with a consultant. I don't want to take your money if you can't win the contract. Right. So if, if you have no, uh, if you can do it, but you can't win it, don't call me. 
right. because I don't, I don't want to take your money if, if you can't win. And some, when, what I mean by that is the evaluation criteria is going to be either lowest price technically acceptable or best value, or if it's, or it's going to be qualifications, you know, if you're doing an SF 330, um, it, it might be price only um, or, or some other uh, ways of doing evaluation. But from there, let's say it's best value. Now we have a ranking from, from that. So um, then they're going to go further. And a lot of people might stop initially and make their go to go decision just saying, oh, it's best value. But then they're going to say, uh, technical is more important than your experience, is more important than your management, is more important, yada, yada, yada. And then when you read all the way down, it says all of those things are the same weight as your price. And really what that means is that if you can't get a competitive price, that's half, you know, that's 50% yep. of all of this. So you've, you're going to put in a, you know, a month of work for all of these factors, knowing that your experience might be the most important. So we're going to send out 10 PPQs. We're going to prepare 10 project sheets. We're going to Make sure we highlight all the relevancy on all of these. But if your price is going to be the second highest out of 30 bidders, then let's just throw this away right now. Right. Because, you know, there's going to be one winner on a say talk of 30 bidders and it's not going to be you. And the price really is half of it. Yeah. So that's yeah. where it goes. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking before this and in that what you said reminded me of a question here. And we were, we were talking before this about you being an entrepreneur and going after things the way you go after them. And do you see yourself in a lot of situations where you know they can't win? They've come to you. They've already they've dug the hole at this point. They've dug the hole of coming in. You know they can't win uh, given some of the criteria that you're telling me. How do you rescue that or, or what advice do you give to a client when you're looking at it saying there's just no way we're going to win this i could write the best proposal in the world you don't have the right experience you don't match this you don't match that um, you don't check this box how do you how do you coach them as an entrepreneur through that process um that's a, a really good question so a lot of the clients that we work with, um, we work with them on an ongoing basis. Uh, and typically they'll come to us to help them evaluate the opportunity before we do the proposal. And as soon as we identify that it's not a good fit, then we will tell them it's not a good fit. And so, and they know that of us by now. And I was actually told by, by some of my mentors when I started my company, not not to do that. So if somebody wants you to write the proposal, write the proposal, Just write it. you know, like somebody's coming to you, you know, with cash in hand, Hey, write this for me. Then, you know, why would you turn it down? And that, you know, that's part of just my, my belief that, you know, I, I don't want to be to go in a sinking ship to say that right. you can't win this. Right. I had come from working for companies before where they would just bid, you know, when I was employed as a proposal manager, I, I kind of skipped over that part from, from getting myself a job. I had volunteered for everything and become the marketing manager, the proposal manager, the business development manager. I was traveling around meeting face to face with contracting officers, hearing what they wanted. And I was essentially told to do everything. And we'd bid 20 proposals a month and we just throw stuff against the wall. So I knew when yeah. I was doing losing proposals and it's a part of that trauma as well, I guess. But I tell these companies, you know, I don't think this is a good one. And they say, okay, well, help us evaluate the next one. And we have a lot of repeat clients simply based on that. Um, and so well, that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like, well, how dare you have integrity? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're dealing with the government. How dare you? You know, yeah. uh, and, and again, whether you're a government uh, employee or not or contractor, you know, and take that for the grain of salt it is. You know, we, we see things in the government that, that can be uh, very interesting. We'll put it that way and move on. But uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about 
when it comes to mentors or other people that just say the the famous philosophy, and I don't remember if it's Richard Branson, he might be the one who says, uh, when you get hired to do a job, just take it and learn how to do it later, right? And there's there's something to be said for that, but there's also taking a job that you know you're going to fail. And we don't do that either. You know, I, I think we have probably won more business by telling people, no, you shouldn't do this than mm-hmm. by just taking contracts. And it's funny, people come to us all the time and, well, you know, we're our firm, RSM Federal, is a traditional consulting firm. You know, we do a lot of consulting and advising, but we also do like GSA schedules, 8A applications, HubZone, you know, WSB, SCVOSB applications and all that kind of stuff. And it's so funny when somebody reaches out to us and I tell them, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice right out of the gate. One you can do this yourself and two don't hire anybody to do this unless you have to. <laughs> and they're like, but don't you provide the service? Said, yes, we do. Like, but, but number one, you can do this yourself. Uh, and I just want you to know there's no mystery behind it. You know, I just want to be upfront and honest with you. Now, if you don't have the time or you don't want to navigate it on your own, then absolutely hire us and we'll do it for you. And we'll knock it out. Cause we've got, we've got someone who's the unicorn, like you're talking about earlier who the guy just loves doing these applications. I don't know why he likes to punish himself like that, but, (laughs) but he does. And, and he's very, very good at it. But, um, but that's just one of those things where just a little bit of honesty and integrity, I I think really go a long way. And this is just to me, again, we were talking before this, the show here of, of the practical business advice for even the government contractor. Cause I've seen that too many times too, where when I was in bigger companies like General Dynamics and GTE and the companies that don't even exist these days, GTE doesn't exist anymore, but um, where we were like, sure, we can do that. And somebody would come back and go, hey, does anybody know how to do that? They're like, I don't know. Is that even possible? We don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we just signed a contract, you know, for X number of thousands or millions of dollars uh, to go and deliver this. And you know, it's really easy to, to burn your reputation that way. I think the other thing to me, again, I'm sharing this for, if you're listening and thinking, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to punch out quantity, not necessarily quality. I think it's easy to burn out your proposal team on Mm -hmm. this and even your team in general. Like how many people like to lose every day of their life? Like there's, there's not many, right? Like, you know, and so I would, I would rather look at it and say, Hey, the odds are we're going to win this and do five proposals in a month versus, you know, 50, just hoping to win five. Mm-hmm. And like, I think 45 losses in the month would be really hard to take on, on just like your mental health. if You will, you know, that's a, that's a lot of losing for somebody. And so not, not just chasing those to me is, is a big deal. So I don't, I don't know. You, you have any thoughts on, on my ramble there? Oh my gosh. I have so many. When I was working as a proposal manager and doing, you know, and traveling for business and, and doing all those proposals, we had, going after those losing pursuits, knowing they were losing. I remember being asked to go after something that had, uh, it required airfield paving by the prime contractor in order to be relevant. We didn't have airfield paving. And they said, well, go ahead and put it in from a sub. I'm like, well, you can't do that. I'll do it anyways. So knowing that it was losing, I mean, I had to like pull all nighters to get this thing done. And in addition with everything else. And it's like, I wanted to, I wanted to quit. I yeah. wanted to go find another job. I wanted to leave the industry entirely. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure that there are hundreds of other people in that situation right now that know exactly how that is. But when you're employed, you don't get to walk up to the, right. to the president and say, I'm not going to do that proposal. We, you know, we can't win it because they just say, well, I'll do it anyways. You know, you're on a yep. salary. Yep. They can tell you what to do, but that's what's so great about being in my position is that I can tell a company like, no, you don't get to bid that because it's not worth your time and money. And so like, it's, it's great to be able to say no, Yeah, yeah. you know, in that same, in that same sense as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and tell me if, if, again, if you feel like this, 
that you would back up this thought here is I think a lot of entrepreneurs think they have to go out and win everything because they're, they feel very needy mm-hmm. or, or like, Hey, I've, I've got to go do this because you know, we need the money or whatever it may be. And they're, they're just kind of chasing their tails. And a lot of times I tell people, if you'll just slow down and focus on what your, your core of your business is and focus on, like I was saying earlier, instead of doing 50 proposals, focus on five, how much more time do you have to invest into other business development or into your team or your mental health or all these other areas of your business? And they, they don't see that. They just see that as I've got to go 100 miles an hour until we get up and running and I make it big. And I'm like, you will make it big way faster if you slow down. And that's such a hard concept for a lot of people to slow down. You talked about with your business, it took a while to launch, you know, that kind of thing. And I see so many people that just dive in head first and they struggle for five, eight, 10 years if they even make it that long before they really have their breakthrough. Where because again they're they're trying so hard and they're trying to do so many things versus slowing down and getting focused on what you should be doing, doing that really, really well, and then adding something to it. And then doing that well and adding something to it. Um, where they're just chasing their tail all the time. And so I don't I don't know if if you see that a lot or what your thoughts yes. are. Yes. Yes. That is is so great that you say that because I work with so many contractors, so many small businesses, especially, and I get to know their businesses really well when we're doing their proposals. And I can tell you that from my experience, the ones that have really found their, their niche that they're working on and they're, they're focusing in just that one area. There's some companies that I work with. They say, Oh, we submit, I don't know, maybe four five, six proposals a year. And they're really big ones. And we know that we've got, you know, a 70% chance of winning it. And that's all we do. And we're really successful. And there's some companies that you know, we might work with a few times and they, and they aren't as organized. They aren't as structured. You know, they're chasing everything in that pursuit mm-hmm. of growth. And, and you can tell that the management is a little bit less, uh, less structured. It's a little bit more crazy around there. Um, and we really have found that we work very well with those companies that kind of align with our values and, um, you know, and our ethics and, and there are, there's a, there's a marked difference between the companies that have focused on where they're successful. They bid less, they win more Mm -hmm. and the ones that are chasing everything. And there's, there really is two different types. And the ones that, that know how to say no are, are much more successful and their their personnel are happier um, because they're not bidding on everything. And and they're, they might even have more contracts. You know, I'm not looking at their yeah. books, but um, but their growth has been, you know, they've been doing very well um, yeah. in that regard. But, you know, and you really you just can't put a price on happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know it, it, it sounds so cliche in so many ways, but. You know, you just can't put a price on it and you can't put a price on your integrity, Mm -hmm. uh, your reputation, the market. You just can't put a price on it. And I love it when people come to us and say, we're reaching out to you. Uh, We want to work with you on X, Y, Z. And they close really fast. And after they close really fast, I talk to them about, you know, why'd you close really fast and why'd you choose us? And like, because you've always been honest with us. You've told us no more times than you've told us yes about even working with us on a project or you've referred us to certain people. I had, I had a conversation just yesterday. Somebody says, Hey, do you do proposals? And I said, no, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, well, do you do this? And I said, no, we don't do that either. Well, do you do? No, we don't. And I'm like, and then he just, every question would come back. He was digging in deeper. Well, you know, what do you do? How can you? <laughs> and, and, you know, we're going back and forth at this point. And it's instead of just saying, yes, we can do, oh, somebody wants to give us money. Let's just take it. 
you know, mm-hmm. let's just take it and run with it. Let's do something we don't like, you know, that that's just the small business mentality. And, and I, I, again, I get it when you're small, you want every dime because, you know, you, you know, like to pay the bills, keep the lights on groceries, all those kind of cool things. Um, but, uh, I, I just think a little bit of discipline goes, goes a really long way. So, so, so back to proposals for a moment here, as we start to kind of wrap things up, I, I've seen two schools of thoughts on this. I, I'd love to get your take on reusing content from proposal to proposal. What are your thoughts on that one? Uh, yes, that is um, something that I think is uh, definitely important. If you're rewriting a proposal every time you do it, you're going to take a long time to do it. Um, I've seen it done well in some ways um, where you have to be able to store it in a good way uh, to be able to reuse it. Um, so, so we use the system, uh, Calvary uses a system to store, uh, the content from client to client. So, um, you're not just necessarily going back to each past proposal that they have to go use it. I've seen it done poorly in other ways where you have like the, the previous client's name in it you would oh, you would never want to submit if you're reusing yeah. content i guess my biggest advice uh you know without going off track uh my biggest piece of advice if you're reusing content in a nutshell yes you should do it uh you have to tailor it tailor it tailor it tailor it have your boilerplates if you're talking about quality control uh if you're talking about you know your introduction to your company have those and then make sure that you're going back to the specifications. You're going back to the scope of work. You're going back to how does the, the agency, how does the contracting office, how does, how does the end user, how do they like to be referred to? Mm-hmm. And you're tailoring every single paragraph. Yep. So they feel like you're talking to them. So nobody knows that you're using a boilerplate content. Because if it feels like you took that out of something else and then just pasted it in the way that I can recognize that an RFP is boilerplate, then it's like, Ugh. and the best part is if your competitors are using boilerplate and it looks like it and yours looks like, Hey, 60th contracting, you know, or you, you know that they like to be called, you know, 60 cons. That's the, that's the way they like to be the touchy feely term, you know. Uh, we know we know that sixty cons likes this, da, da da da, and you're talking specifically to them and their issues, and they're like, oh man, these people really get us mm-hmm. so much so that they don't even notice that you've never worked there before. You're talking like an incumbent. Yeah, that's a huge competitive advantage, and you've done it through having boilerplate. So, yeah. I'm definitely a fan of that strategy. You know, I, I think, um, you know, using content over and over, but tailoring it. Cause I think a lot of people get lazy around, like you were saying, they take their boilerplate, they insert it and they go next paragraph, <laughs> you know, next paragraph. And they don't, they don't think of tailoring it. You know, when we talk to our clients, even about capability statements, we're like, you should probably have an archive of like 50 of them by the end of the day. Because every time you approach an, an organization, you're going to take your your main one and you're going to tailor it to them. Not only the content on it, you're going to rearrange content on it. You know, what's the project you're working on? Those NAICS codes should be at the top of the list, not at the bottom or in the middle somewhere. They should be at yes. the top. You know, the things that are important from your conversation should be at the top, not buried somewhere. Again, I'm just talking capability statement, but I think the, the concept maps over. We, we even talk about the colors. You know, if you're dealing with the Air Force, you should be looking at those blues and grays and whatever versus submitting something that's on the Marine color scheme. Like, mm-hmm. why not tailor? You know, or like, you know, why would you have, um, you know, a big warship on the back of your thing if you're talking to the Air Force? Why not have some planes or whatever? You know, like, just take a few minutes yeah. to make it special just for them uh, and and stand out. Again, you had so many that have the generic graphics, the generic just everything, and it doesn't speak to anyone. It just speaks to the fastest possible uh, RFP submittal 
that you could get, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, that that's really what it shows, you know, that's, that's a big thing. So as, as we wrap up here, hit a couple things for me on, on the way out here. Um, talk to me about some common misconceptions. Uh, if you've got some accomplishments you want to share with us and then any final thoughts you have. Ah, yes. Okay. Uh, common misconceptions. I think a lot of people think that they need to put their proposal in InDesign or something uh, extra fancy. Uh, in my opinion, uh, you're submitting it to the, the federal government uh, in, in the case of most of our proposals. Um, they, they literally say in most of the RFPs, uh, do not make this, you know, uh, excessively fancy you know, overly designed use of graphics, you know, that's not the exact wording, but they tell you not to do that. Um, if it's going to take you an extra couple days to put it in that design and you're, you know, unless you're Lockheed Martin or somebody and you've got a staff of a hundred right. people, uh, why are you doing that? Is it going to help you win? I would focus your efforts on your content and not putting it all in InDesign. You can make a beautiful proposal in Microsoft Word, and then you can focus on editing and having time for your reviews. Um, they put their RFPs in Microsoft Word. So just the same way you dress for an interview, the way that your interviewer is dressed, yep. respond back in a like format. That's my advice. I like that. Um, also, um, a lot of companies say, hey, let's put in some extra information to tell them about this in our proposal. You know, throw in this. Don't do that. If they didn't ask for it, don't put it in. Uh, give them exactly what they asked for in the format that they asked for. Uh, use the number formatting to match the paragraphs of the RFP. It's the simplest way to be compliant. I always like to say, Imagine the evaluation committee. You know, they don't usually have a lot of TV shows about evaluation committees, but we've all seen a lot of TV shows about like a jury room, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah, yeah. So I always think about it like, you know, I've never been a contracting officer. I've never been on a source selection evaluation board, but we do have one of our writers at Cavalry um, who has been a source selection evaluation chair. So we, we run a lot of our stuff by him. Um, but I like to kind of think about a jury room. And think about, you know, all your people sitting there in the jury room and they come from a lot of walks of life, uh, a lot of walks of life. I mean, in our case, most of them are engineers, but I've been told, imagine that any of your evaluators could be any engineer from down the hall, you know, if you're submitting to the core. So you have to write to any of them, not just the people that could be on your project, but you're trying not to irritate these people. You are human beings. Yeah. So don't just say whatever you want to say. Make it easy to evaluate. So I could I could have a whole other thing about this. I'm not going to go on too long. But always imagine that they've been in there for a week with the door closed and they just want to go home. Yeah. So how do you get them to just say, I like this proposal better, you know, in accordance with all the rules. Make it easy to evaluate and put yours about the rest mm -hmm. with a human being who wants to go home. And uh, it means don't make your text really small all the way out to the margins. You know, they might wear glasses and not be able to read it and just go, Oh, I don't like these people. They're annoying me. Uh, and then, um, the other quick, uh, I, I don't think it's a misconception, but we were just talking about airplanes and, and ships. And I wanted to throw in a quick little value bomb related to that. You can go to any of the websites for the military bases and they post, Images. I'm giving away one of my secrets right now. I probably shouldn't do this, but I figured I would because this is a great podcast and, and I like it. So um, go to any of the websites for the, uh, the bases or the posts or the camps that you're bidding to. And they post all these uh, images that you could use. You know, it's for media. So if someone's writing an article about the base, um, high quality images. And I go there all the time to get you know, awesome pictures of KC 135s and everything. If I'm bidding to, you know, tinker, you go get these great or, or McConnell, you know, get a, get a great picture of these planes, put it on the cover of your proposals. And, you know, they want to see themselves. Yeah. They don't want to see you. Go give yeah. them a picture of their own plane. It's great. 
Yeah, that's that's just the best form of flattery. And, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's um, I don't know if this will date me a little bit. Uh, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm four. I just turned 43 last month. But I remember when my kids were little um, and my parents used to do this when I was little, you know, they take you to Sears for the photos shoots. You know, I don't know if you ever went on one of those photo shoots or took your kids, but you take the kids for the photo shoot. You go through and you take all the photos and then they give you your order, but then there's all these extra photos of, hey, we also had all these that you didn't order. And no parent wants their stuff to go in the trash. They want it all. They want to keep all those photos. And I I think everybody's the same way. They want to keep all their babies. And I and I look at like these planes and ships and all that. That's their babies. You know, mm-hmm. they they want they gravitate towards that one. They don't want that one to lose you know, when it's got their stuff on it. And, mm-hmm. and so there's just, there's something about our human nature that sees our stuff, whatever our stuff is and says, I like that. I like, yeah. that. I, I can speak that language. You know, one of the, the uh, little exercises I used to do in some of our workshops was I would always say, you know, everybody pictures things differently. This is why you have to use people's words exactly. So if somebody says helicopter, you can't say CH, blah, 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 whatever. You need to say helicopter. And the example I would always give is if I say the word helicopter, what image do you get in your mind? Like right now, there's an image in your mind based on the word helicopter. And if you're listening, like like go through this exercise with me. You know, what is the what does the helicopter look like that's that you have in your mind based on just that word? And we all have a different one. Like, I'll ask you what yours is in in a minute. But when I say the word helicopter, I actually uh, it was the best Christmas ever when I was a kid. It was like my I think I was seven or eight years old. And my dad bought me a first cavalry uh, helicopter and it was like this big, you know, like two feet long. And it was the coolest thing. It had six blades on it Had a little winch that would crank down. It's one of my favorite all time toys ever. So if somebody says the word helicopter, that's what I think. Um, when I say the word helicopter, what did you get in your mind? Uh, so my family and I have been playing the game of life on my iPad lately. And there's a little helicopter that always comes and drops off the babies into your car. You know, whenever you yeah, get these. That's awesome. I didn't even know they did that. <laughs> well, so so here were two people talking about the same thing, similar business that we're in. I say one word that should be fairly easy for us to kind of relate to, and we have two totally different concepts. I guarantee you, everybody listening to this podcast, when I said the word helicopter, you have a different concept in your mind, a different vision of what that is. In fact, if you want to uh, email us in, I'd love to hear what those were. That'd be, just, that'd be a fun exercise. But I think it's that is one of those things I see with proposals. People get in there and they they see something and they go, ah, that is technically called this. And they go down a rabbit trail of talking about it in another using another phrase, another word. And you're not speaking the same language anymore. You've gone from speaking English and English or apples and apples to you're now speaking apples and oranges or English to Chinese or whatever you want to call it. And you've just torpedoed yourself. In, mm-hmm. in the business by changing the language and assuming it means the same thing because it's just, it's changed the mental image in that evaluator's mind. And I think that's a big thing. Um, I, I almost don't even know how we got there, but uh, that's a, that's a big thing that I see people do. They, they, they use their own words instead of the client's words. They don't speak yes. their language. So anyway, just my two cents on the proposal uh, process there. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because that's something that that we do. We look for uh, for all the words, and we make sure that we're using the same words instead of synonyms, and 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 build bridges, you know, yeah. between all the relevancies in that in that same way. That's that's so important. Yeah, so so powerful, you know. And and I would say that would that's probably a great use next time. So like, if you're continuing to write for, I think you use sixty cons was one of the ones you have. So if you're going to continue to write for that group you probably take your past proposal language that you have used their lingo and there's a good chance some of that's going to map over. 
mm-hmm. in the next one you write for the same group. Probably, it probably won't map over to another organization, but it might. Um, but it's just it's interesting to be able to take that and reuse it. So, so a lot of good stuff we covered here today. You know, we're coming up on almost an hour talking about proposals. <laughs> we could probably talk about proposals all day long, but I I just want to thank you for coming on today. I'm sure we'll have you on to do more podcasts with us and kind of dive deep into some of these things. But th- thank you for providing a lot of great value for our listeners. And um, if you are wondering. I will have uh, Michelle's contact information on the website. You'll be able to go get that email or call her, go visit her website, whatever it may be. Um, that'll all be there. So she didn't have to repeat all that for you. And uh, again, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching, where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me. You're going to walk away from the session with three things, a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business, and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. And you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's, you know, how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.